from the WIA. This is the weekly national news service originating from VK1 WIA. This is WIA National News for week commencing April the 19th, 2015. Hi, I'm Robert, VK3DN. And I'm Brian, VK3GR. G'day, Rob. G'day, Brian. Now, listeners, you're probably wondering why we're back behind the microphone. Well, it's Graham's retirement. And uh, just so that Graham can have a, a relaxing two weeks as he says goodbye to all of his friends and has a few lunches, we're here behind the microphone to give him a bit of a break. Congratulations, Graham, and uh, enjoy your time ahead. And the recovery afterwards. Yeah. Now, what have you been up to, Brian? Lots of housework, Rob. Uh, well, work around the house, less uh, so inside. Bit of gardening, bit of uh, bits and pieces. Polishing? Polishing, yes, polishing. Polishing the connectors on your radio. I have, I have. I'm preparing the new shack. Oh, that's good. Good to hear. Now, we've got a lot of news this week and a lot of stories to get through. So you take the first one, Brian. This is rather interesting. Apparently, ET's microwave oven calls Parks. The Parks Radio Telescope has been picking up strange radio signals both at 2.3 to 2.5 gigahertz and around 1.4 gigahertz. In a paper uploaded to ArcSiv, it seems subsequent tests revealed that a periton can be generated at 1.4 gigahertz when a microwave oven door is opened prematurely and the telescope is at an appropriate relative angle. This means that if you open a microwave door before it has finished microwaving, it may release a short but strong radio signal which bears a strong resemblance to a periton FRB. The Parks team decided to test the observatory's units and found they could produce peritons by opening the oven door while the microwave oven was running. The two ovens responsible for most or all of the observed peritons are both in excess of 27 years of age but still working reliably. Tests point clearly to the magnetron itself as the source of these peritons since these are not detected unless the oven door is opened. CNET writes that the good news is that this study was able to determine that peritons and FRBs are distinct from one another and that the microwaves at the Parkes Observatory could not have been responsible for FRB 010724, the first FRB ever detected by the telescope and the first known FRB. The bad news is that perhaps it's time for the observatory to update its kitchen equipment. There's a couple of links in the text edition to follow up on this story. Very interesting for us who uh, visited the Parks Observatory and did a bit of a walkthrough. Did you walk through the kitchen, Rob? No, we didn't. <laughs> Probably should have. And I haven't got any photographic evidence of That's their microwave. So, yeah. Okay, Paul de Berardino is trying to organise a petition to stop the supply of dodgy mobile repeaters to Australia. His immediate goal is to reach as many signatures as possible, and to that end, he's contacted the WIA National News Service. You can read more about his petition and sign it in the text edition of the News Service. We've got a link in there for you. To WIA Board Talk. Remaking VK Amateur LCD. The Australian Communications and Media Authority, ACMA, is to tidy up the licence condition determinations, the LCD, that automatically sunset in October. The ACMA proposes only minor updating of the regulations, the Radio Communications Licence Conditions Amateur Licence Determination. Although not due to sunset until April 2018, a sister piece of legislation, the Radio Communications Overseas Amateurs Visiting Australia Class Licence, is also being revised. This will enable harmonisation with the proposed new LCD, so overseas radio amateurs continue their activity while visiting up to 90 days. The proposed LCD 
Minor changes include removal of restrictive regulations following the closure of analogue television and to clarify power levels in the 472 to 479 kHz band frequency range. Before it makes changes, drafts of both documents are out for public comment. Submissions must be received by the ACMA by Friday, 24th of April 2015. To read the full draft materials, visit the ACMA website. Now to the WIA AGM. That's something I've been busy working on with a number of others. It's being held in Canberra on the 8th, 9th and 10th of May, so just a bit under a month away. As part of the event, we are getting together on Sunday evening with the CRARC, the Canberra Region Amateur Radio Club, at a location to be nominated by the club. Now, they've done that. They've nominated the City Labor Club, which is in Petrie Plaza Civic. It'll be commencing at 1,800 hours. That's on Sunday evening, the 10th of May. So there you go. Now we know where Sunday evening's dinner will be. If you would like to come, there's still plenty of places uh, available. You can register via the link on the homepage on the WIA website. Sounds like it's going to be a huge weekend. It will be. There's uh, lots of people registered already, Brian. Excellent. Now, we've got quite a bit of ANZAC news. The WIA ANZAC 100 commemorative broadcast and official opening. These will happen on ANZAC Day from our national capital, Canberra. In the VK100 ANZAC broadcast, Wireless Institute of Australia, President Phil Waite, VK2ASD, is to have a message from the Governor-General, Sir Peter Cosgrove, on the occasion of the ANZAC centenary, 25th of April, 2015. It will be on Saturday, April 25 at dawn, 0430 hours Australian Eastern Standard Time. In it, the Governor-General will refer to 100 years ago, on the 25th of April, a group of ordinary Australians charged onto a foreign shore in the service of our nation. What they couldn't have known as they battled fiercely and heroically on the Gallipoli Peninsula was their actions on that fateful day would inspire and help describe our nation for all the years to follow. The VK100 Anzac broadcast is a tribute to all those who gave service and sacrifice to their nation. Later on Anzac Day at 14.30 hours Australian Eastern Standard Time, which is dawn in Gallipoli, the official WIA Anzac 100 program opening occurs. Phil VK2ASD will initiate this Echolink hookup for the WIA, the New Zealand Association of Radio Transmitters, the NZART, and the Turkey Radio Amatolari Semieti, TRAC. Full details of those to participate are yet to be finalised. All Anzac suffixed call signs and other commemorative stations are asked to not transmit during the broadcast nor activate their event for the 30-minute Echo Link contact, expected to at least involve Australia, New Zealand and Turkey. And thanks to Jim Linton for that update. All is ready for Anzac 100 activities. After many weeks of preparation, radio amateurs around the world are eagerly awaiting for the centenary of Anzac, the coming of age of our nation. ANZAC stands for the Australian and New Zealand Army Corp, which first saw action on April 25, 1915, and went to battle on the Western Front. Australian and New Zealand visitors to former ANZAC battlefields in Turkey, France, Belgium and elsewhere are being very warmly welcomed. The Turkey Radio Amatori Simieti TRAC has set up a repeater TA3EC on Coxida Island on Echolink under the call sign TA3EC. 
track president Aziz Sasa. TA1E says the intention is to be listening nearby on 145.550 MHz and 433.550 MHz as the VK and ZL visitors disembark from buses. Among those attending is June Sim, VK4SJ, a first-generation daughter of Gallipoli veteran, who will be joined by her son, Anthony, VK8NCS, at the dawn service and later at Lone Pine. There are others, and we wish them all well during what will be a very respectful observance in commemoration of the World War I battlefield where the Anzac and Ottoman Empire soldiers fought during World War I. This international friendship will have no less than nine TC100 prefix stations in Turkey. At Polygon Wood in Belgium, now a war cemetery and memorial is O-Poppy, O-P-0-P-P-Y. The New Zealand Amateur Radio Transmitters, NZIRT, has its ZL100 Anzac on air for a month with its team of DXs looking for as many contacts as possible. There are many sites of significance, both in World War I and World War II, including those in Europe, Malta, Southeast Asia, Papua New Guinea and in Southwest Pacific. Back in Australia, no less than eight Anzac suffix call signs will be on air from Anzac Day. Individual event details are on the WIA website and qrz.com. For example, VI7 Anzac by Vince Henderson, VK7VH, at Muna will include many broadcasts of the actual recollections of Anzac veterans' diaries and details of Tasmania Victoria Cross Medal recipients, history told by those who were part of it. A focal point of some activity will be the RSL Club. One of those events is at Tanilba Bay RSL, activated by the Port Stephens Amateur Radio Club VK2AOJ, other clubs will also be at their RSL club on the weekend. Later on in this VK1 WIA broadcast, we'll talk about the WIA website that has become a comprehensive resource on the Anzac 100 events and activities. From the WIA, this is the weekly national news service originating from VK1 WIA. Well, Rob, with so much going on, it's uh, a great opportunity for us to get on air uh, with our friends and family after the local events and get in touch with those who have made the trip over there to commemorate this uh, centenary of uh, such a momentous uh, world-changing event. And to activate all of the uh, special call signs that have been uh, put yeah. to air. On the other side of uh, this short note about the John Moyle Memorial Field Day, we'll get straight into Hams Across Australia. Good morning, this is Dennis, VK4AE, WI coordinator for the John Moyle Memorial Field Day. I would like to thank all those people who have continued to take the time to prepare and submit their logs as entries to this year's contest. There has been a significant increase in the number of logs submitted when compared with this time last year. It has been observed that out of some 49 club stations who actually took part in the contest and contacts were logged by other stations, over 20 have not yet made the effort to submit a log on behalf of their club station. An urgent reminder is necessary as time has almost run out. Further, don't forget that the snail mail system this year is even slower than in previous years and while letters are being delivered, they are more slowly. 
so do not wait until the last minute as you could miss out getting it here on time. So, don't forget that the closing date for entries this year is at midnight on the 19th of April and you really must put in the effort to get your logs into me in time. Thanks, Dennis. Okay, Brian, it's time for Hams Across Australia. Let's get into it with VK1. The Canberra Club's next general meeting is scheduled for Wednesday the 22nd and at it, Dale, VK1 DSH, will be presenting a talk on amateur satellites. Amateurs have had satellites in space since almost the start of the space age. There have been Oscars in orbit since 1961 and there are many operational satellites that amateurs can use right now. The talk will cover some history, what satellites are available, including recordings of what they sound like, what is possible, operational issues and setting up a ground station and other resources, etc. And to VK4, the Tableland Radio Group with the Cardwell Bush Telegraph Museum in North Queensland will be putting on a display of old Morse code and old radio equipment on May the 29th and 30th. The location is the historic post office in Victoria Street, Cardwell. To VK7, VK7 RMD update. The Mount Duncan Tower upgrade was tentatively scheduled for Saturday the 11th of April. The fully assembled tower lifted by helicopter and placed directly on the mounting bolts. No small feat of engineering this one and another reason we hams should be very supportive of the services we utilise. VK7 RMD broadcast this news every Sunday morning on the repeater. So Rob, uh, what use is an F-call? I know exactly who can tell us. What use is an F-call? You're 5 and 9, or 20 over 9, or 5 and 5. It's a phrase you'll hear regularly in amateur radio conversations as you tune up and down the bands. If we ignore for a moment the readability signal, the first number, in this case 5, which I have to confess is pretty arbitrary, my perfect readability is not going to be the same as yours, the deafer I am, the less likely you're going to get readability score of 5, but let's look at the second number. It's a signal strength pretty straightforward. It goes from S0 to S9 and sometimes there are extra decibels added, 10 dB over or 20 dB over, etc. The S meter in your radio is actually a very sensitive microammeter. The dial displays in S units. So what is an S unit? Well, until 1981, there wasn't a real standard. In the 1930s, they decided that S9 means 50 microvolts at the input of the receiver but there wasn't a standard impedance of 50 ohm, which we take for granted today, so the number is pretty meaningless in terms of power received. In 1981, they defined it as 50 microvolts at the receiver's antenna, assuming an input impedance of 50 ohm. It gets better. The S9 is actually defined as minus 73 dBm, or decibel milliwatts, or 50.12 picowatts. Each S unit is 6 dBm, so S8 is minus 79 dBm, or 12.6 picowatt, S5 is 0.2 of a picowatt. And if that wasn't enough to make your head explode, radios are rarely calibrated. So one radio's S9 isn't going to be the same as the next ones. Worse still, not every radio uses 6 dB per S unit. So S8 for one radio might be 6 dB, for the next it might be 6.5 dB. And I should add that automatic gain control in a radio affects the S-meter as well. When you next tell someone they're 5 and 9 or 20 over 9, 
Just be mindful that it's useful as an indication of what's happening between your station and theirs, but it's not anything that you could use as a definite resource in the future. If you want to read more, there's much to find online. Word of warning, when you read more, your head will explode more. What I've talked about here is grossly simplified, and I've not even looked at the actual electronic side of things. Amateur Radio. The more you dig, the more you find. I'm Ono, Victor Kilo 6, Foxtrot Lima Alpha Bravo. And thank you for that piece, Ono. And it's excellent, even for those who aren't F-calls, to maybe brush up on these things once in a while. Let's get into international news. Sven, VK2ISO, dropped us a note to say that the University of Cambridge have unravelled one of the mysteries of electromagnetism which could enable the design of antennas small enough to be integrated into an electronic chip. These ultra-small antennas, the so-called last frontier of semiconductor design, would be a massive leap forward for wireless communications. The Cambridge team used thin films of piezoelectric materials. They found that at certain frequencies, these materials become not only efficient resonators, but efficient radiators as well, meaning that they can be used as aerials. I look forward to one being put into my back tooth, mate, so that we can be walking down the street Q-sewing. That's it. While, I don't know, eating a hot Chewing dog or something. Gum. Chewing gum, yeah. Well, that'd be hey, a bit of, uh, bit of CW as, we, as we're walking down the street. The 2015 NZART AGM and Conference is being held in Hamilton, heart of the Waikato, over Queen's Birthday weekend, Friday 29th to Sunday 31st of May. The venue will be the Kentucky Lounge at the Tarapa Racecourse, Hamilton, and this year is hosted by Hamilton Amateur Radio Club Branch 12 of the NZART. Everybody get down to H-Town. New SA radio regulations published. These were published in the Government Gazette, and in short, South African radio amateurs can now, with the exception of a few bands, increase output power to one kilowatt. The 160-metre band has been extended to 2 megahertz, and as a bonus, their Class B licences were awarded a power increase to 100 watts as well. South African hams have also been given propagation studies, permission to transmit between 40.675 MHz and 40.85 MHz as primary users and use up to 400 watts of power. Ham tower collapse in Virginia. A mother and her two children were trapped in their car in rural Virginia. This after an 80-foot amateur radio tower fell onto their vehicle. Spotsylvania County Deputy Fire Chief Joseph Sposa noted that the tower also fell partially onto a home, causing some minor damage to the roof. No one in the home or vehicle was injured. County Department of Fire, Rescue and Emergency Management crews were able to stabilise and remove the debris to free the trapped passengers. Officials believe high winds in the area caused the tower to collapse. The owner of the tower was not named in any news reports. That must be one of the scariest things to come back and see at home, mate. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, to operational news 2015. Firstly, the Tablelands, Radio Groups AM and CW on Anzac Day. Of course, that's April the 25th. Then the Harry Angel Sprint, 80 metres, on May the 2nd. The Trans-Tasman Contest, that's on 18th of July from 0800 hours UTC. Then it's the 1010 International Summer Contest on August the 1st and 2nd. Remembrance Day Contest, that's on August the 15th and 16th. The Oceania DX Contest, a voice, that's a full weekend in October. Oceania DX Contest, continuous wave, second full weekend in October. So that'll be a very busy time ahead.
Okay, to special event stations, DX beacons, repeaters and net advice, our first story today takes us to VK2 and Julian Saltland. Haddock, the Hornsby and Districts Amateur Radio Club Incorporated, will be operating AX2 IMD from 10am Sydney time on Saturday the 25th of April until 9.59 the following morning using voice, CW and digital modes. It celebrates the first official direct wireless message from the UK to Australia sent on 22 September 1918 on behalf of Australian Prime Minister Billy Hughes while he was visiting the UK at the end of World War I. It was transmitted by Marconi from Weinvar near Carnarvon on the Menai Strait in northwest Wales. The signal was received by Ernest Fisk at Warunga in northern Sydney. Further details on AX2 IMD are available on the Haddock and GB4 IMD websites. For VK1 WIA News, this is Julian Sortland, VK2 YJS. From the WIA, this is the weekly national news service originating from VK1 WIA. Thank you for that, Julian. Moving on, New Zealand Radio DX League invites you to download the April issue of the DX Times for free from the URL shown naturally in this week's text edition available from wia.org.au. This is a marketing promotion aimed at making people aware that the New Zealand Radio DX League exists and is still flourishing 66 years after its inception. Thanks to Paul ZL4PW for letting us know. GB1 SDG to Mark St George's Day. The patron saint of England on Thursday, April 23rd, from Gallywood Common. The common was the site of an artillery fort during the Napoleonic Wars and today boasts 175 acres with several open spaces to play radio. That's GB1 STG. Yeah, we must thank them for putting aside that 175 acres for us, Rob. Yeah, imagine <laughs> the antenna farm you can put on that. Here's a quickie. m and 7X2VB is on air as 7U7WARD until today, the 19th, celebrating World Amateur Radio Day. And Charlie VK3ZD is active from Northwest Ireland OC142 in the Coral Sea until the 20th of April. Activity is mainly on 20QSL via the home call VK3ZD. And Dino VE7NX will be active as P4 slash VE7NX from Aruba SA036 until the 24th of April. He'll be working mostly CW but may switch to SSB if needed. QSL via VE7NX. Okay, Brian, now this one I mentioned on the Special Interest Group News segment last week, but here's a bit more information for the listeners. Aussie Balloon circumnavigates the Southern Hemisphere. After being released in Victoria, Australia on Easter Monday, April 6th, the foil party-type balloon PS41 has achieved the longest range in Project Pico Space and gone around the world. Earlier, its sister balloon PS30 went down on January the 16th in suspected poor weather over the east coast of Africa near Madagascar. The latest solar-powered helium-filled balloon, PS41, launched by Andy Nguyen, VK3YT, on April 6, has a HF payload transmitting 25 milliwatts on the 30-metre and 20-metre bands, sending whisper spots and JT9 telemetry. This high-altitude balloon took a path over Tasmania, then south of New Zealand, the southern tip of South America, directly over the South Georgia and southern Sandwich Islands, 
well south of Africa and back to Australia where it began. Kept pretty south there, Rob. Wonderful was South Australia. South. We weren't past South Australia. To the south, I expect. While south of Tasmania, it abruptly changed course, acting like a petulant child to be on a southerly track instead of heading straight across its initial path. Another balloon, PS42, had earlier made its way to the southern Pacific between New Zealand and South America before splashing down. Andy Nguyen, VK3YT, says still afloat is the balloon PS41, tracked extensively via JT9 by a network in VK, ZL, South America and South Africa and Ireland. Whisper spots have been received all over the world. How much longer the Pico balloon will stay afloat is up for anyone to guess, but we congratulate Andy, VK3YT, his team and the trackers as near space exploration continues. Okay, to Worldwide Special Interest Groups and ARDF. An Indian Fox, the Quillon Amateur Radio League in association with the Alpuzza Amateur Radio Society organisation organised a direction-finding hunt in Alpuzza on Sunday, April the 12th. The story even made it to the Hindu newspaper, who reported, armed with directional antennas, five teams participated in the search for a hidden transmitter, the Fox, which kept on an undisclosed location within 30 kilometres of the town square, which was the starting point. During the hunt, signals or howls are transmitted once every five minutes and the participants are required to locate the transmitter by tracing the signals that are emitted. More information on that one and the story can be found in the text edition of the news service. Worldwide Special Interest Group CW, FIST welcomes others to join their nets. All FISTs down under nets now start at 10 hundred hours UTC or 8pm Australian Eastern Standard Time. The CW nets on 7.028 MHz are for an hour each Tuesday with net controller Chris VK1CT and Wednesday for slow CW with Jerry VK2YA. An SSB FIST net is Thursday either on 7.058 MHz or 3.58 MHz depending on band conditions with net control being George VK2DLF. All nets are plus or minus QRM. To Worldwide Special Interest Groups, IOTA. Brian, GW4DVB, returned for his third visit to Palm Island in the Caribbean Territory of St Vincent from the 13th to the 22nd of April. His call sign is J88PI and counts as NA025 for IOTA. He's operating on 40 through 6 SSB and QSLs go via the home call GW4DVB. And to rewind, a look back at history. The Australian submarine played important Gallipoli role. The Royal Australian Navy submarine HMAS AE2, which was at the Dardanelles and the Sea of Mamara, will be part of the Anzac Centenary Commemoration. It was the only Australian naval vessel to be involved directly in the Gallipoli campaign and will be commemorated by the call sign VI-4AE2. On April 25, 2015, the Special Events Station, Victor India 4 Alpha Echo 2, will go to air for the period of just five days to commemorate the gallant officers and sailors of the Royal Australian Navy submarine HMAS AE2. This was the only Australian naval vessel stationed at the Dardanelles to be involved in the Gallipoli campaign. Six operators will variously put VI-4 Alpha Echo 2 to air over five days. In honour of these five days, the HMAS Alpha Echo 2 followed its orders to, inverted commas, run amuck in the Sea of Mamara. 
A very informative web page has been set up at QIZ.com. Search for Victor India 4 Alpha Echo 2 for details of operations. The amateur radio operators of this special event call sign are as follows. Mike Charteris, VK4QS, ex-Royal Australian Navy. Mike Patterson, VK4MIK, ex-Royal Australian Navy. Doc Westham Down, VK5BUG, ex-Royal Australian Navy. Peter Hewitson, VK4QC, ex-Marine Coast Radio Operator. Bob Beck, VK4RJ, XP29 Rubu Plantation Manager, and myself, Alan Shannon, VK4SN, ex-Royal Australian Air Force. We all look forward to working you in honour of the crew of the HMAS AE2, Victor India 4 Alpha Echo 2. Thank you. What a great story. Anzac 100 program on the WIA website. All information on this Wireless Institute of Australia WIA initiative is now online. The Anzac 100 campaign that begins in earnest next weekend includes commemorative stations throughout Australia, Belgium, New Zealand, Turkey and elsewhere. The WIA website lists all those events in detail, invites registration by AX prefix callsign users on the Anzac weekend and has other related events here in Australia and overseas. Operating award details are there for the Anzac Centenary and AX prefix stations, including the rules and how to claim. All Australian Anzac callsign events, the eight events on April the 25th and 26th, and 40 in total until December, you can find your electronic log, and the WI will send these to EQSL. Looking for details on the Anzac 100 campaign? The WIA website dedicated segment is likely to have all of the information you need. It can be read at www.wia.org.au. From the WIA website homepage, select Anzac Centenary under the News and Events tab. OK, well, that's all for this week. It's been a full week. We'll have more for you next week. Much, much more next week. And thank you, Graeme, for the opportunity. And I hope you have a great week this week. We'll look after things for you, Graeme. Don't worry. And we'll feed the cat. We'll lock the doors. Sorry, mate. Everything's fine. Bring in the milk. That's right. Into the litter box. And as always, listeners, we report it. You decide. We've reported, you decide.